Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be yet another solved case for my Curious Case series. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and you've hit that bell icon so you don't miss out on any future Curious Case episodes. I have a quick announcement at the end of this episode, so be sure to stick around to the very end of the episode for that. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. Consensual homicide, a term that refers to a case in which one person kills another with the consent of the person being killed. Assisted suicide is suicide undertaken with the aid of another person. You went to Jason, so yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Is it up here? A ground clearing right over there, just to the left. Okay. They're portraying my husband as a monster, and he's not not. In a case of heartbreak, strange internet forums, secret desires, and murder, let's discuss the case of Chelsea Martinez. Chelsea Martinez was born in 1989 in Columbus, Ohio, to parents Elizabeth Smirk and Christopher Smirk. By the age of about 10 or 11, Chelsea had seen a psychiatrist on account of her volatile mood swings and behaviour. Her parents were told that it seems like she had bipolar disorder. I'm unsure whether an official diagnosis was made by her psychiatrist, as especially in the late 90s, a bipolar diagnosis for a child would have been very, very rare. Though we do know that she began treatment from a young age. In 2004, at the age of 14 or 15, Chelsea began her studies at West High School in Columbus, Ohio, and it was during this time at West High School that she met and fell in love with a classmate called Oscar Martinez. Chelsea and Oscar were described as being high school sweethearts, meeting in 2007. That same year, in 2007, Chelsea gave birth to her first son at the age of 16. The couple then married in 2009, with Chelsea Smirk taking Oscar's last name, becoming Chelsea Martinez. The young family then welcomed another son into the world in 2010 and a daughter in 2013. For the most part, throughout their relationship, Chelsea's mental health was stable, and any indications of her bipolar disorder largely fell under Oscar's radar. But when Chelsea's bipolar disorder began to rear its head, Oscar grew very concerned. 
Chelsea would have manic episodes that would last from just a handful of days to several weeks, followed by a crash of depression that could last even longer. She hadn't taken any medications to aid in calming down the severity of her episodes since she was a teenager. And when Oscar would suggest that she should go back on these medications, she would get defensive and say that she didn't need medication to be a good mum. According to her mother, Chelsea hated the medications that the doctors prescribed her as it meant that she wouldn't experience the highs of mania which she enjoyed. Though she oftentimes forgot that following a high or manic episode came a deep and ruthless low. And whenever these lows hit, Chelsea got in her car, drove onto the highway and drove and drove with no destination. She would drive until she felt as if she'd driven far enough, until it felt right to her, before turning around and heading back home. Some of these road trips would last days on end. When she would return, she would feel a lot more calm and more relaxed, any anxieties that she might have had being left behind on her spontaneous road trips. In February of 2012, the family moved from Ohio to Las Vegas for a change of scenery, a new leaf, a new chapter. Oscar had managed to transfer and got a promotion at his workplace to a managerial role, and Chelsea began to study nursing. At this point, they only had their first two children, with their third child being born in 2013, after Chelsea had graduated with the highest honours from her nursing course. Everything seemed to be going well for the Martinez family. They had a beautiful house in Las Vegas, three beautiful children, and hopes and dreams of a bright future. But their fates sadly shifted when, shortly after the birth of their third child, Oscar lost his job. You see, Chelsea had been a stay-at-home mum, studying her nursing degree while raising the children, with Oscar bringing in the money to support the family. Though with Oscar losing his job, the family quickly found themselves strained, not only financially, but also mentally. Oscar managed to find work at a local McDonald's, which, even with overtime shifts, barely brought in enough money to keep the family afloat. And all this stress and tension in the household really began to affect Chelsea. Chelsea, due to the overtime Oscar was working, was thrust into the role of being both parents to their three children, and would barely see anyone outside of the family. She began to fall into a depressive episode and took to social media to open up and discuss her day-to-day -day struggles and pains. In one post, she wrote, So much for the dream life, more like a nightmare. Chelsea's posts on social media almost became her therapy. She would post about what medications she had tried as a teenager, along with any of the side effects associated with those medications, and she would tell her Facebook friends just how depressed she had become. It became almost like a public diary, but as it is with depression, the cleanliness and tidiness of the family home quickly slipped through the cracks. Dishes would go unwashed, takeout containers left on the countertops, her children's messes went untidied. 
Now, I'm not saying that it was Chelsea's role to tidy up or clean, but with Oscar out working long hours and overtime, the responsibility fell to her. Oscar did try to help out when he could, though he was sadly never at home due to his working hours. This would be the root cause of a lot of arguments between the couple, that and Chelsea's almost obsessive use of her laptop to talk on the internet. At the start of July 2015, Chelsea came across the website experienceproject.com and according to their website, Experience Project is the place where passionate people live. As the world's largest living collection of shared experiences and the premier passion-based network, Experience Project is a comfortable and supportive place for individuals to share and connect with others around the things that matter to them the most. With over 24 experience categories, Experience Project is the definitive online social conversation destination for people to connect with with others who really get it and them. It was on this website that Chelsea was able to anonymously vent about her mental health and her struggles. It was also on this website that Chelsea first met a user who went by the name of Dark Rider. The pair began bonding over their mutual love of the popular book and film series Twilight, in particular their interest in vampires. Though it wasn't long before their conversation morphed from light-hearted vampire discussions to something much more darker. Suicide. You see, Chelsea's depressive episode was getting worse and worse, and she decided that she wanted to end her life. And Dark Rider actively encouraged this. When Chelsea expressed her excitement to die, he told her that he would help her. So the pair then made plans to meet. Oscar began to notice just how addicted Chelsea had become to her laptop, and he began to fear that perhaps Chelsea was having an affair with somebody else. Though when he confronted her about it, she said that he was crazy and that she wasn't. Chelsea and Dark Rider decided to book a motel in Faribault, Minnesota, so that they could finally meet. Bear in mind that they'd only been talking online for a short time before they decided to do this. Chelsea told her husband Oscar that she was going on a trip to meet up with some friends in Akron, though we know now that she actually drove the some 800 mile to Faribault, Minnesota. Unbeknownst to Oscar, when Chelsea left through the front door that morning, it would be the last time that he would see his wife, the mother of his three children, alive. It's important to note that Oscar wasn't all too worried about Chelsea's safety, as, as previously mentioned, she had left on road trips before and had always come back, though this time she sadly wouldn't. She arrived in the evening of Friday the 31st of July 2015 in Faribault, checked into the motel and waited for Doc Ryder to knock on the door. And when he eventually did, she let him into the motel room and, according to later testimony, they sat and talked about her suicidal and depressive thoughts for hours on end. The following day, on the 1st of August 2015, at 1.58pm, Chelsea posted a Facebook status that would change everything for her family. The post read, This is my last Facebook status. I'm not strong enough to continue on in this life, and I've left to take cyanide and relieve the pain and suffering. 
By the time you read this, I will have already taken it. I'm sorry for any pain I'm causing you all. Just know that I love you and this is no one's fault. I was traumatized by the institutions and I know now that I can never truly escape them. My only regret is leaving my kids behind, but they have a support system and more love than I could ever hope to offer them. I'm going to a better place. Don't be sad for me. Goodbye. Chelsea's family immediately upon seeing this post contacted the authorities and the police issued a nationwide bolo alert for Chelsea. A bolo alert or a be on the lookout alert is officially called an APB and is an official broadcast to all law enforcement agencies across the nation to be on the lookout for whoever the alert was issued for. As the minutes turned to hours and those hours turned to days, no reports or, or sightings of Chelsea or her car were made. That was until 3.45pm on the 3rd of August 2015, three days after the bolo alert had been issued, when a deputy on a routine patrol pulled into the car park of Shager Park in Minnesota, which is just outside of Faribault. The deputy discovered an abandoned vehicle donning Ohio license plates that still had the keys in the ignition and had both the front and rear driver's side windows down. And when the deputy radioed the license plates of the vehicle in, it was confirmed to be the vehicle of missing 26-year-old mother of three, Chelsea Martinez. Up until this point, despite the worrying Facebook post that Chelsea had made, the police investigating her disappearance believes that she might have run away on her own accord to start a new life. But the discovery of her abandoned car changed everything. That was also when the police focused on Chelsea's browsing history in the lead up to her disappearance, in particularly the website experienceproject.com. Oscar had been able to log into Chelsea's laptop and into the website and had discovered the username of the man she had been speaking to on the site, Dark Rider. But who was Dark Rider and to what extent is he connected to Chelsea's disappearance? The police, upon learning the username Dark Rider, issued a subpoena to the owners of the website for more information about the user, such as an email or whether they had registered with a name or even just an IP address. Anything that could further this lead, as it was their only lead into Chelsea's disappearance. The police began to speculate that Chelsea had met up with this user Dark Rider and had perhaps taken off with him, abandoning her car so that she could start a new life. On Friday the 7th of August 2015, the Experience Project website based in San Francisco emailed the detectives back with all the information they had on the user Dark Rider. Most of the information they had wasn't particularly useful, except for the user's email address, jnisbit at gmail.com, a breakthrough for the police. They issued a statewide search for anybody with the name Jay Nisbet living in the state of Minnesota, and those search results returned eight people living in the states with the first name initial of Jay and the surname Nisbet. One of those eight, a man called Jason Nisbet, lived in Faribault, which was just a stone's throw 
away from the location where Chelsea's vehicle was discovered. And so the investigators went to Jason Nisbet's home to question him and to see if he had any connection to the user Dark Rider and any involvement in Chelsea's disappearance. So who exactly is Jason Nisbet? Jason Robert Nisbet was born on the 7th of June 1976, and not that much is actually known about his upbringing, but what we do know is that he met a woman called Gina on an internet dating website. Not long after the pair met in person, they got married in 2007. Jason spent the majority of his time playing video games by himself in the living room of the place they shared together, though it wasn't long before the couple moved to a home, a house, and Jason got a room just for his gaming, a man cave. This was a space where Jason would be completely alone and would be able to look up anything online that he wanted to, things that he wouldn't look up in front of other people. Jason would spend hours alone in his man cave, and his constant time in the room would be the root of many arguments between Jason and his wife. He began to browse hardcore adult film websites before going on to search for snuff films. If you're unaware, a snuff film is essentially a film in which a real homicide takes place on camera. Though there is little evidence to support snuff films being available freely on the internet, with many films using CGI and special effects to give the illusion of a homicide. In some instances, these snuff films are made for sexual pleasure. Some reports from users of the dark web claim that such films exist deep within the internet, but it's not something that you can easily access or get a hold of. Jason's wife, Gina, would sneak into his man cave when he was at work and browse his search history to try to get a better understanding as to why he spent so much time in there alone. When she stumbled across the hardcore adult films and snuff films, she tried to make sense of it, but ultimately couldn't. She decided that it was likely that these sexual desires that Jason had were just something of a curiosity and nothing more, and that it was just some fantasy that he had, which he would never enact. And it's when he was locked away in his man cave that Jason came across the website Experience Project. Com, a place where he could talk about anything and everything anonymously. He began to talk to a multitude of people on the website, but most importantly, he began to talk to Chelsea Martinez. Jason, as with Chelsea, became obsessed with the Experience Project's website and obsessed with talking to other users on the site. His wife, Gina, began to suspect whether her husband was having an affair with somebody he had met online. After all, Gina and Jason had begun dating through an online website, so it was a thought that was very present in her mind. On Friday the 31st of July 2015, the same day that Chelsea drove off from her home in Las Vegas, just before Gina had served dinner, Jason told his wife that he was going to go fishing. When Gina asked if he wanted her to come along with him, he told her no, and that he wanted to go alone. By this point, Gina believed with almost certainty that Jason was in fact having an affair with another woman, and this fishing trip was just a cover-up for that. Instead of fishing, though, we know that Jason drove to the motel where Chelsea was staying to meet up with her, 
and it was there that they discussed Chelsea's suicidal and depressive thoughts for hours on end. The following day, on the 1st of August 2015, after Chelsea had checked out of the motel, Chelsea and Jason drove in separate vehicles to Shager Park in Roll Rice County. They arrived at some point between 10am and midday, parking both their vehicles in the car park before walking off together. After walking for around 10 to 15 minutes, the pair reached a wooded area that Jason had predetermined, largely due to the availability of a nearby stream, which he could use to wash anything off. Jason had brought with him a small backpack, which had paracord and a 10-inch knife inside. Once they had arrived at this predetermined location, and after more conversation, Jason used the paracord in his backpack to bind Chelsea's hands and feet together. He then strangles her with paracord until she fell unconscious, after which he pulled the knife from his backpack and pulled up Chelsea's unconscious body from behind, pulled her head back and slit her throat. Once he was satisfied that Chelsea had been murdered, he dragged her body closer to the stream of water and covered her with dirt in a shallow grave. During this homicide and subsequent hiding of the body, Jason actually lost his glasses, which he obviously needed to improve his sight. He then cleaned himself up before returning back home. We know that Chelsea was alive at around 2pm that day due to her Facebook status update. We can only assume that either the Facebook status was scheduled or posted by Jason, or that she was murdered shortly thereafter. When Jason returned back home, telling his wife that he had just finished up fishing, his wife noted a muddy handprint on the back of his clothes. He claims that he had simply fallen backwards into the mud when he had been fishing, but Gina didn't believe him for a second. She confronted him about whether he was having an affair, and he told her that she was crazy. He went on to apologize for not being around much the past few days, and then said that he was going to go clean himself up and that they were going to spend some quality time together. To Gina, this was an admission of guilt, that he was lying to her. But she didn't realize at this point that her husband wasn't actually cheating, but was actually covering up a murder. Gina, when Jason was out of the house, at work, went straight to his computer to further investigate what had been going on. She wanted to find some solid proof that he had been talking to another woman and that he had been having an affair. And what she discovered blew the cheating allegations out of the water. She found posts by Jason on the Experience Project asking to meet up with somebody who would let him eat them. He wanted to find somebody who was into cannibalism. Jason had become obsessed with the concept of cannibalism, and Gina quickly came to the conclusion that it might be possible that her husband had just met up with somebody to consume them. After the investigators in this case had discovered the identity of the user Dark Rider to be Jason Nisbet, they rushed to Jason's home in Faribault to question him. 
But when they arrived, Jason wasn't at home. He was actually at work, though his wife, Gina, was, and she told the police everything that she knew. Gina explains that she had believed that Jason had told her that he had gone fishing alone the previous weekends as a guise to cover up an affair, and that he had returned with a muddy handprint on the back of his shirt. She also told them what she had found on Jason's computer and his account on the Experience Project, and told them that Jason had posted about his desire to eat human flesh. The investigators then informed Gina that they were looking for a woman called Chelsea Martinez, who had been in contact with Jason on this website. Gina denied ever having heard of a Chelsea Martinez, and she was then invited down to the police station to give a formal statement. Some officers remained at the Nisbet household to apprehend Jason when he returned from work, and when he did, the investigators began to question him. The detectives started the questioning off very light-heartedly, asking about the weather and his hobbies, Jason told them about how he enjoyed fishing and showed a picture of him fishing in an area not far away from where Chelsea's vehicle was discovered abandoned. Investigators then informed Jason that they were looking for a missing woman, and they told him that they knew he was Dark Rider, and that they knew he'd been talking to the missing woman, Chelsea, online. That was when Jason broke and he began to tell them the truth of what had really happened to Chelsea. Jason spoke of how he had met up with Chelsea at the motel, and had spoken about her mental illness and mental health with her, and that she had asked him to help her kill herself. Jason and Chelsea had specifically spoken about the exact way that Chelsea wanted to be killed, and Chelsea told Jason that she didn't care if he ate some of her flesh after she had died. It's unclear whether or not Jason did actually consume a part of Chelsea's flesh after the homicide. Jason had shifted the entire blame of the murder onto Chelsea, stating that she had consented to the murder and that he had only assisted in her suicide. The investigators then asked Jason where Chelsea's body was, and he took them straight to her. When they arrived at the scene, they had confirmed that Chelsea had died in the way Jason had described. The police began to search the surrounding area, and in this search, they located the glasses that Jason had lost during the homicide. Jason Nisbet was then arrested and charged with one count of murder in the second degree. Now, murder in the second degree is non-premeditated murder, which is a very interesting charge in my opinion because this murder was clearly premeditated. They had discussed it online extensively before they had met, and they had spoken about it the night before the murder. This, to me, was murder in the first degree. Whether this is a case of assisted suicide or not, we have no way of truly knowing, as we only have Jason's testimony to go on. What if Chelsea had changed her mind last minute? What if 
he had forced her. It's important to note that at the time of this murder, assisted suicide or death with dignity was illegal in the state of Minnesota. I believe it still is illegal. I couldn't I saw that they were voting on it um, last year, but I'm not really sure what the outcome of that was. The charge of murder in the second degree carries a maximum prison sentence of 40 years. Before his trial, Jason's bail was set at $1 million. Jason didn't have a criminal record prior to this homicide, with only no proof of insurance and expired vehicle registration violations on his record from 2001. What made this man turn to cannibalism and murder? Users of the web forum WebSleuths tracked down Jason's Experience Project's profile and revealed some very interesting attributes of his accounts. Sadly, the Google Cache and Wayback Machine archives of his profile are no longer available, so I'm going off what they found in their searches. Jason was a part of several groups on the website, including I am a person of darkness, I love blood and gore, I need your blood, I like blood play, I love evil, dark, disturbing, gory things, I am a dark person, I am fascinated by disturbing stories and imagery, I have sick, twisted and dark fantasies, I love the taste of blood, I have a dark side and I love gore and horror. When Jason was brought to trial, he was actually charged with two different charges. The first charge, count one, was murder in the first degree, aka murder with premeditation. This was a charge that the prosecution had pushed very hard for, and rightfully so in my opinion, and it is a charge that carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment. The second charge, count two, was murder in the second degree, the no premeditation murder charge. The trial began in 2016, and Jason Nisbet entered a plea of not guilty on both counts. He truly believed that he had done no wrong, and he showed no remorse. At the start of 2017, Jason actually accepted a plea deal, which would see him plead guilty to the second charge, murder in the second degree, and see the first charge against him dismissed. As a result of this plea deal, Jason was sentenced to 40 years in prison for the homicide, the maximum sentence available for the charge. Interestingly, he actually received a further two years on top of that sentence after being found guilty on the charge of assault in the second degree with a dangerous weapon. I don't personally agree with the charges he was ultimately found guilty of, and I do believe that this was premeditated murder regardless of whether it was consensual or not. We truly have no real way of knowing if it was genuinely consensual up until Chelsea's death, as we can only rely on Jason's testimony. His wife, Gina, to this day claims that he is not a monster and just somebody with serious mental health issues. It's important to note that Gina and Jason have since separated. And that's really everything that I have for you in today's case. It's a heartbreaking and devastating case for all the parties involved. This really opens up a discussion of whether assisted suicide or death with dignity is something that should be legalized. I think it makes sense for people with terminal illness who want to go out on their own accord. 
but I'm hesitant to support assisted suicide when it comes to mental health issues. In some ways, the mental health system failed Chelsea. She spoke in her final Facebook post about how she didn't want to be in institutions for the rest of her life and that they had traumatized her. Let me know your thoughts and opinions on assisted suicide on this case in the comments section down below. As someone who has been in the suicidal mindset before and as someone who has bipolar disorder, I can understand the state of mind of wanting to end one's life. And I am very thankful and glad that I never went through with anything and I found the help that I needed. I can't comment on the mental health system in the United States as my experience is exclusively with the British National Health Service and thankfully my experience has been for the most part positive. As always, if you have been affected by any of the topics discussed in this episode, you can find a link in the pinned comments to organizations and charities in your country that can help, including hotlines. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and that you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post a brand new Curious Case episode just like this one. Also, if you fancy, jump over to Twitter and Instagram and follow me over there. My handle on both platforms is at it's Joshua Miles. I also, as I said at the start of the episode, have some good news about my podcast Crime Time, which I co-host alongside Dark Curiosities, Molly Westbrook and Kirsty Skye. The next episode is currently in the edit and will be released before the end of the month. Here's a quick snippet from the new episode. The Grey Man. The Werewolf of Wisteria. The Brooklyn Vampire the Moon Maniac, and the Bogeyman, all nicknames used to describe the American serial killer, Albert Fish. In today's case, presented by Molly Westbrook, we're going to explore the gruesome and twisted tale of Albert Fish and what exactly happened in the state of New York between 1924 and 1932. This is the Crime Time Podcast. You can find Crime Time on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case.